Hey, this is Kat Kahn from Knoxville, Tennessee. And Tanya Rice from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are grateful you've joined us. And we cannot wait to share with you the musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learn, laugh, and enjoy. And we hope you will share with us any of your comments or questions. Without further ado, this is Two Pittas on a Pod. So, hey, Tanya. Hey, Kat, how are you? I am a lot more awake than you are today, I think. (laughs) But it is fall now, huh? It is fall, and we have our windows wide open, and it is chilly. I think we got down to 48 last night. It was lovely. Oh, well, I am jealous. Let me see what it got down to here. It has been getting a little cooler here. It got down to 61. That's cool enough. That's cool enough to have windows open and breezes going through the house. Yeah, I am pretty excited about that. You know, the only thing I have to say I'm not real excited about, though, is when the time change and it starts getting dark early. Yeah, it is a little distressing. Hey, I don't know if I told you this, but my crystal balls arrived. I bought the set of beautiful crystal balls. Sound meditations? Yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, Wow, we need to do a whole entire podcast just on sound meditation. I've never even participated in a sound meditation. What? Yeah, that's why I keep wanting you to put it online. So me and do it with you. Because I honestly, in fact, I've never even looked it up on YouTube. So I have no clue. It's like virgin territory for me. Wow. Wow. We need to change that. (laughs) I know. So do it. Special one and make it something that I can come to. Crazy. I'm That's gonna awesome. write this down. Practice on me. There you go. Nice. Okay, you have to tell me something. How did the party go for your daughter? The party went great. Um, I have not had her a birthday party since she was young. You know, it's always just been, you know, you know, my son and me and Edward, you know. But anyway, so it was kind of neat that we had quite a few family people there. And so I think she was tickled and everyone was passing the baby around. And she, I think she was very pleased. Nice. Yeah, that was good. So what are we going to talk about today? I think we're talking about yin yoga. I know. I'm excited. Do you teach yin? We do not have a scheduled yin class at the studio right now. We did pre-COVID only because it requires so many props and things. And we're just now getting back to reintroducing classes with props. Yeah. Yeah, we teach quite a few on our schedule and we get so many requests for it. It was probably one of the harder practices for me to ever buy into because it's slow and I just didn't get it for so long. But when you think about how yin is that stable, unhidden aspect of things and yang is the changing, moving, revealing aspect, it makes a lot of sense that you need both. You need, you know, in our body, our connective tissues are stiff and unmoving. You know, the tendons, the ligaments, the fascia, and the mobile pliable muscles and the blood are all yang. So to balance our whole body up, we need them both. Yeah, it's like no different than a strong Olympic athlete can't simply have their yang sport. They also need to have the yin side, the, the stretching, the lengthening, the healing part of their cross training otherwise they'll be imbalanced and get injured and i think it's so funny to me the people that i can find and we always have some people that immediately buy into yin like oh my gosh i love that it feels so good but then we have the people that need it the most 
that will not do it until they get injured. And then they see that they need it. Yeah. It's interesting because yin can be a rather emotional practice Uh because students get into a posture and they're asked to hold it. And when they get into this place of, I don't want to say discomfort, but definitely the edge of their comfort and then are asked to hold it, they don't like to sit with it. They really don't like to sit in that place that's like, this is too close to discomfort. They want to run from it. And it's not even just physical discomfort. When you sit and you're still, you have to deal with a lot of that emotional junk that we carry all around with us every single day. And so in that still quietness, when there's not all that outside noise, you don't have your electronics on, then you're holding this pose that a lot of times, there's a lot of hip openers in yin. But um, when you're holding these poses that cause you to release, it also releases a lot of emotional baggage, but it's healing. It is healing, but it's convicting. People sit in the pose and they're like, how can this be so difficult for me when I can do vinyasas for 90 minutes? Well, that's great, but this is just as important. Uh And, you know, it becomes this mental game that you're like, this should not be this hard for me. Why is this this difficult? Yeah. Well, one thing I like to tell our students is that connective tissue responds best to that slow, steady load. So if you gently stretch connective tissue by holding a yin pose for a long time, the body will respond by making them a little bit stronger and you'll be able to hold poses longer. And that's kind of what you want because the principle of the exercise is to stress the tissue so that the body responds by strengthening it. Yeah. So hundred percent. So for those of the students who don't really know what a yin practice is, yin is really like, as you originally suggested, it's a very slow going class. In fact, it's far more like a restorative class than it is like an asana class. I mean, yes, we're doing postures, but the intent of a yin class has really three parts to it. One being your depth in the pose, Mm kind of coming to that maximum place you really reaching your edge of that stretch, that level of comfort. The second then is to commit to stillness, which is really tricky for some people to truly commit to being still. And then the last is to acknowledge that there is a specified time. And like you just suggested, in order for us to really get into healing tendons, ligaments, and fascia, there is a time commitment. If you simply move into the stretch for 15 seconds, it's not going to be enough. That's elastic movement. That's not really changing fiber. And because these tissues are so slow moving, we have to commit to time. And usually we say three minutes for yin poses, three to five, sometimes seven, depending on the pose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, most of the studios in the U.S. and ours in particular, both of us have more of a a vinyasa type practice in our studios. You know, we practice yang style yoga. And so that's, I think, a problem for a lot of our new students that come to yin because the yin poses closely resemble the poses of traditional asanas that we have in our class, but they have different names. And so the names that 
always threw me at when I first started teaching in because I thought this is really confusing to people until I really sat down and read from different instructors and different people that have taught in forever. It's mostly just to alert the students that are familiar with the conventional yoga poses. It helps them remember we're not performing these the same way, not to keep their body in rigid alignment and not to keep everything, you know, hinged exactly. So I kind of really like the fact that the names are very different. The beauty of our yin postures is that the purpose is not only about the length of the muscle, but it's really about getting into the depth of our fascia, into scar tissue, into trapped inflammation which is why students who have had injury gravitate to it or strongly avoid it because they're getting into those places of discomfort. But it is also why it is such a healing practice is because it really is working on that stuff that we tend to ignore or that we tend to deny the existence of. Oh, I'll get to that later. Like, I'll I'll just come back to that later. Well, it also improves our energy flow, enhancing the flow of chi to our organs. But uh, some of the other benefits of a regular yin practice, increases circulation, improves flexibility. It calms and balances the mind and the body, reduces stress and anxiety. It releases the fascia, encourages deeper relaxation, improves joint mobility, and it brings balance to the organs. One of the things I've noticed from some of my hardcore advanced yogis, when they will commit doing even one yin class a week, they can do the splits better. They can focus even more on handstands and hold handstands more solidly. They can get into pigeon pose with ease and not have to adjust themselves continuously. The benefits, it's its funny to me because I bought this practice for years until I just saw, until I saw it, until I had to teach it and I saw it and I saw the pr- improvements in people. Now I kind of really love it. So on weeks that I get to teach Yen, I'm real excited. Isn't that funny? Because I have it written here in my notes too, that I enjoy teaching Yin because it's that opportunity to see the shift in your students. Mm -hmm. Like you can literally see it changing people. And if they truly commit to, you know, three, five minutes or whatever, you can see them peel themselves out of the pose afterwards and have this like full body sigh. Like you can see it shift in them. And I love that. It's really that ability, not only for them to be in the pose and and to get the physical benefit, but it's really also about giving themselves permission to focus on deep healing. Mm -hmm. And most of the time we don't. We're running around, especially like you referenced seeing other teachers take your class and, you know, really having that opportunity to watch them get in touch with deep, old emotions, deep, old injuries. It's really amazing. And maybe they don't want to get into that, but that's where the change happens. That's where the difference in your life happens. I had, I taught a yin class on Thursday morning and I decided to teach all of the right side of the body first, then teach all of the left side of the body. And I hadn't done that. I've only done it one other time. And I'm going to start regularly doing that because it was so interesting for me as a teacher to watch the whole class. But this one man in particular who's super tight, you know, men generally are tighter in their back, their butt, their hamstrings than women. So this man, when we first 
just got to caterpillar pose on with the right ankle crossed over the left, leaning forward. He he was so stiff he couldn't even lean forward. He had his arms way back behind him. But in all the poses on Thursday, I held for about three to four minutes, none longer than that. But by the time we got to caterpillar or forward fold, feet to forward fold on the other side, he didn't have to hold back. He was leaning forward because we had released enough tension in one practice that he could lean forward into that forward fold. So it was really cool. I was, I wanted to go, oh my gosh, do you see what you're doing? But I... <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like what you're suggesting is it really is about like old stress in the body, but it really is a difficult practice and really hard to maintain without having that emotional response. And if you were to have drawn attention to him, like, right, like that would have been like, what? Why is everybody looking at me right now? Like, you're all tight too. You're just not admitting it, you know, kind of thing. But it is really amazing how much of that tightness is stuff we're holding on to. Like when you think about, we know that our dis-ease, you know, is our own stuff like, right, that really there is trauma that's buried in some of it. There is grief that's buried in some of it. Sometimes it's victories. These injuries were my victories. This was my, this was my highest point in my life when I was in my best shape that I injured that knee. And so when we get in touch with lengthening and kind of, I don't want to say squeezing it out, but like when we really, you think about taking a rag and pulling it long and then giving it one little twist Mm -hmm. to get that last bit of junk out of the rag. It's the same when it comes to like wringing out emotions or wringing out old crap that's stuck within those tissues. And it really does become this kind of charged energetic response. And now that I talk about this, I'm like, oh man, I should do a yin reiki class. Pretty cool. One thing when you were mentioning wringing out the towel, one thing I love about that analogy is that it's so hard, it's so tight, but when you relax the towel, it releases. And mm-hmm. that's our bodies. It's so tight and you're holding the pose. Then when you allow yourself to sink into it and relax into it, it may still be tight. But as soon as you come completely out, your whole body goes, oh my gosh. That's that big collective sigh I was talking about. Yeah. So very, very cool. Do you know the history and the origins of yin? I found on Eckhart Yoga, he had just a brief little two-sentence origin, and this is on Eckhart, E-K-H-A-R-T yoga.com, Eckhart Yoga. He says, holding stretches for long periods of time and other techniques closely related to yin yoga have been practiced for centuries in China and Taiwan as part of Taoist yoga, which is sometimes known as Tao Yin. Taoist priests taught this knowledge along with breathing techniques to Kung Fu practitioners about 2,000 years ago. I didn't know that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So it started working with Kung Fu people. So that makes a little sense because most of the men that come to my yin class are all martial artists. Oh, sure. It makes complete sense because it comes down through Eastern lineage. It really is more of a modern practice, though, the way it has now been named and the way the poses have been created. It is actually quite a Western practice. And as much as its origin comes in Eastern, you know, tradition, it has been modernized and Westernized 
in the U.S. to the traditional yin that we're talking about. Right. As opposed to that old um, Taoist tradition. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's just one becomes more accessible to to us here in the Western world. I do think that it's really such a cool practice. One of the things that I have pulled from the book that I am going to reference when we get there is, and I know we've touched on this, but the physical benefits being about improving joint health. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about like the tendons and the ligaments and stuff, but it really is also about you know, good hips, good knees, good ankles. It really is about increasing mobility. But then there's also this component to our organ function. And even though it is not like a vinyasa class where we're doing that work of lengthening, folding, lengthening, folding, lengthening, folding, where we're like massaging the organs, Mm -hmm. in this case, it's much more about holding in that space changing the viscera around the organs. So trying to remove that layer of fat around the organs. Mm -hmm. But then on top of it, we have those mental and emotional benefits, you know, the stillness of the mind, like we were talking about, but also emotional healing, like we've been talking about. But then thirdly, it's relieving stress in general. If we're, if we relieve stress in the body physically, we will also relieve stress in the body emotionally and mentally. Because most of the time when we are getting stressed in our world in general, it's because there is an underlying physical stress in the body. Right. And then we add and we don't stop and we don't take on any healing. We don't do any self-care. We don't do any self-love. It's like we run from it and we just allow that stress to layer. Mm-hmm. Very true. And yin yoga activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And that in and of itself calms your body, slows your heart rate. And so it it's kind of that opposite of the flight or fight response that we get from this uh, autonomic nervous system. So it's such a good practice for people that are dealing with stress, anxiety, and even depression, because there have been studies that have shown that yin yoga can reduce stress and anxiety and depression. Yeah, 100%. As long as we're going to bring up central nervous system, one of the things I think that we should bring up too is that traditionally yin yoga doesn't practice any specific pranayamas during the practice, not like we do during vinyasa practice, but you can incorporate an ocean's breath or you can incorporate even using like lion's breath at the end of a posture. So you can incorporate pranayamas within the yin practice, even though that isn't traditionally what is taught or described. And I do a lot of pranayama in yin because the edge that people are working towards is so hard for them to hold. So when I give them a pranayama to focus on, they're focusing on that instead of, wow, this is really, really hard. In fact, when I did your class the other night, you taught us this uh, Vasama Vritti. So I use that in my class on Thursday, and it was wonderful to use it as a sinking breath to sink deeper into the pose. And people really loved it. Mm-hmm, 100%. So yeah, even though traditionally yin doesn't incorporate all of the yoga pranayamas, incorporating them is, it, it does, like you say, gives our students something to think about mm-hmm. while they're in this challenging pose. And, you know, keeping them out of their head is mm-hmm. going to help with them being able to settle longer. You know, if they get in their head, they're going to run from the pose. 
Exactly. One thing we haven't talked about are the props. And so when, when I teach in, I'm sure the same with you, when I teach in, I have everyone to have a strap, have a bolster blanket, have two blocks. And when a lot of my more advanced students were like, oh, I don't need any stinking props, you know, because advanced people a lot of times have that mindset that, that, that a prop is for someone that's not good enough or not advanced enough. Yeah, the but, prop's a handicap, not an aid. Exactly. And in Yen, to I, I would say this may be stretching it a little bit, but I would almost say the most advanced people have every single prop possible because they know that to get the most benefit out of the practice, they in some poses, no matter, you know, I can do the split, but, you know, in dragon pose, I'm going to need a little bit of a, of a prop, you know, so there's a lot of times that to get the biggest benefit out or even to push past your edge, eventually you'll, you need props. Yeah. Props are as important in yin as they are in restorative hundred percent. I don't know that there are any poses. I don't use a prop in that maybe, maybe banana pose, but yeah. other than that, no. Yeah, I would say that's probably, I was getting ready to say, the only one I can think of is banana. That's about the only one. But, you know, you can even use props there too if people have real tightness in their side body. You know, there are some things to remember when you're practicing yin. You want to find an appropriate edge. And that's hard for a lot of type A people because they're like, well, more's got to be better. But So you want to move slowly and gently into the pose and look for the appropriate amount of intensity and never let that stretch cause pain because it's not that no pain, no gain mentality, but it's finding just that edge, not pain, but just to the point of that. And then finding stillness to constantly try to try to release into the pose and remain still without shifting positions. That's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, that stillness, that committing to stillness is a trick. And I do have through a pose, sometimes I'll have people wiggle around just a tiny bit and sink into it because I'll see some people that are clenching their jaws and tightening their body. And so I try to remind them to sink into it. And then another thing is to hold the position. Like when you're first starting in, you may only want to try to hold the pose for, as you mentioned earlier, about three minutes, one to three minutes, but progressing up to three or as many, three to five or as many as seven. And then one thing that I, I really try to focus on a lot is having people come out of the poses as gently as they went into them. Because if it's a hard pose for someone, especially like sleeping swan, people just immediately want to fall over to the side instead of slowly letting their body ease out of the pose and really reap those rewards and just set with it to see how the pose has affected them before they move on to the next one. You know, maybe we talk about who yin yin yoga is good for because you know we all have very fast paced lives i don't know anyone that says i wonder what i could do today there's not many people that don't have an extremely long to-do list so i wish i had could remember and you probably know at the quote if you don't have time to set meditation for 20 minutes set for 45 but it's the same kind of thing for people that don't have time for yin they need it more do yin more but yin yoga is for anyone dealing with injuries or chronic conditions like arthritis and osteoporosis. It's good for elite athletes, like you mentioned earlier. If, if athletes want to stay healthy and want to stay injury-free, they need, need yin yoga. Anyone that's dealing with stress, anxiety, depression, they need yin yoga. Anyone that is breathing air in needs yin yoga. <laughs> 
100%. It's like the fact is, is your body has half of your body is yang and half of your body is yin. And if all you're ever doing is feeding the yang side and never feeding the yin side, at some point you are going to start to walk leaning to one side. Exactly. Exactly. And that is a perfect analogy. So do you have some yin books? I do have a couple yin books. I have, am only going to share one because I think you have a couple of them too. The yin book I'm going to share is by Cassandra Reinhardt, Yin Yoga. Wow. And this is a really lovely book because the way she describes going into the postures, but the way she also gives levels in terms of, you know, for students who are feeling discomfort, you can do it to this level or to this level. So the way she shows and describes all of the options is just really lovely. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to check that one out because I don't have that book. The two books that I use regularly, this one's probably the book that any yin teacher has, The Complete Guide to Yin Yoga by Bernie Clark. Then the other book I had not heard of until my sister Lauren was just constantly quoting it and obsessed with it. And she's still obsessed with this book. And it is a really fabulous book, The Language of Yin by Gabrielle Hare. And it is just a phenomenal book. And she really writes for yoga teachers, though it's good for everyone. But she, you know, has so many wonderful things in this book. I just love it. It's fabulous. Awesome. So go get your yin on. Go get your yin on. Yep, for sure. Find some balance in your life. One of the quotes, and maybe if I can find it real quick, in Cassandra's book is, yin yoga is a practice of self-love and self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. I love that. I do too. And that's actually, it kind of describes yin. Mm-hmm. Because you have to commit to caring about yourself to be able to do yin, really. It's committing to acknowledging, A, that you need healing, and B, that you're willing to take the time to do it. So if all of you listeners are wondering why Tanya sounds like this, she's just getting over strep and has been on antibiotics. So this is not her normal voice. She normally doesn't have that Darth Vader thing going on. I'm Kat Khan. And I'm Tanya Rice. And this is Two Pittas on a Pod signing off. Thank you for listening to Two Pittas on a Pod. We're grateful you joined us. Join us again for more musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learned, laughed, and enjoyed this podcast, and we hope you will share your comments or questions. Email us at twopittasonapod at gmail.com. And like us on Facebook and Instagram at twopittasonapod.